Welcome to the new 24-Minute Bible Podcast, where each week we seek to understand the practical truths of the Bible and how they can change our lives. And now, here's your podcast host, Pastor Mark Miner. What I started this uh, podcast for was to help people understand the Bible and uh, for over a hundred different episodes, and you can go back, started with number one and go through. Uh, we began the process of hooking the Bible together to explain, hopefully, in a very simple, understandable way, how the Bible is relevant. It, 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 there's a plan from Genesis to Revelation, and uh, so each book of the 66 books of the Bible has meaning, and spent a lot of time, spent a couple of years actually doing that, and continue to love to do that, and would encourage you, if you're a first-time listener or a relatively new listener, to check back to some of the other episodes. This is episode 142 of the 24-Minute Bible Podcast, but uh, recently we took a little bit of a turn and began to talk about some of the practical outworkings, the practical advice from God's Word. This is not to teach theology. I don't know if I'm qualified to do all of that. I know the Bible very well, but certainly there are nuances of theology that are probably over my head, or at least I'm not interested in. Uh, but I'm telling you what I am interested in, and that's the practical application of God's Word to our life. Today, we're going to talk about something that is very divisive, something that is sometimes a hot topic at dinner tables, and sometimes it's a topic that is totally avoided at dinner tables because of the potential for uh, raised voices and maybe even beyond that. I'm speaking of politics. And today our theme on the practical advice from God's Word is should Christians get involved in politics? Now, I'm very passionate about this and passionate about this. I hope you pick that up from my voice. And uh, again, I ask you just to listen to what I have to say when we come uh, from God's word, but also from some personal experiences and some uh, understandings or outworkings of my own, my own mind as to what you ought to do and what your opinion should be. Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you that will instruct you as to your involvement or your removal from uh, such involvement. So that's where we're going. Should Christians get involved in politics? Before we uh, look at any uh, certain practical outworkings, it's always important to get context. Bible verses, passages, experiences that God has placed in his word that might help us to understand this topic. And so that's what we're going to do. That's what I'm going to do right now. Uh, and uh, begin to dive into that. Let me say up front that uh, I'm hopeful to get all of this in one episode, but there's a really good chance that you might see a part one and a part two, because I do go off text quite often as I get passionate or as I believe hopefully the Holy Spirit gives me insight into some things that aren't written down on my sheets of paper here. So if it goes long, I'm not going to uh, go over, way over, uh, the uh, 24, 25, 26 minutes. I'm going to cut it short and we'll go to episode number two next week. So here we go. Always look to the Bible as a basis for your opinions and your actions. And that's, in, that's true with anything. So before you look at the issues, we need to talk about biblical philosophy. What does the Bible say? What are the underpinnings of the truth? So from a biblical standpoint, uh, let's ask a few questions. For example, this one. Did Jesus get involved in politics? 
What do you think? Do you think Jesus would was involved in politics, would have gotten involved in politics? I know over the last 20 years, the question has been, would Jesus have voted for a certain party or a certain candidate? I don't think those questions are valid. Uh, I don't think those questions are relevant. I don't even think those questions are helpful. It's not so much about that issue specifically of what Jesus would have done in our time and our context. We don't know. He didn't live then. He lived 2,000 years ago in a totally different culture. So it's hard to make those kind of logical jumps. So what would Jesus do? But it is important to look at the Bible. And see what the Bible says about Jesus' life and perhaps about his involvement in politics. So again, the question, did Jesus get involved in politics? I'm going to say to you, unquestionably, yes. Let me give you three different episodes or points that uh, I think are illustrative to understanding Jesus in the context of his society and his involvement in what I would consider politics. Uh, for example, even before Jesus was born, politics came very, very much into play into the life of Jesus the Christ. Let's remember that, as Luke tells us, in the year of Caesar Augustus, a census was ordered. And so Mary and her fiancé, now wife, uh, her yeah, fiancé and, and, and now husband, Joseph, uh, are living in Nazareth. And the edict comes down, the political edict from the governor, from the Caesar, actually, from Rome, that uh, everyone should must, must go to their birthplace to be taxed. So understand that the reason that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, I know there was a prophetic word from Micah, no doubt about that, and God understood all of this, but it was politics that forced the probably eight-month-old, uh, eight-month pregnant Mary uh, to journey with her husband Joseph the 100 or so miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem so that Jesus could be born there. Again, prophetically he had to be, to be the Messiah. But it was that God used the politics of the day to get them from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's point number one. Number two here is a question, actually a trap, uh, that uh, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, those groups that were very much allied against Jesus. And we find in Matthew twenty-two fifteen this verse, it says, Then the Pharisees went out, and they laid plans to trap him in his words. In other words, my friends, politics. Verse 16 says, Then they sent disciples to him along with the Herodians, and here's what they said to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity. I hear the political terms already. We know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Now, that's what the Pharisees and the Herodians said to Jesus. They're buttering him up. It's political speech uh, at, at the finest. But then verse 17, here's the crux of the matter. They say, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not. Now, folks, they didn't care if Jesus paid taxes or not. They were trying to trap him. It was a political trap. If I can venture into one time in my personal life and my involvement in politics, I was being interviewed by a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. 
and they, uh, as I was running for a, an office in, in the state here of Illinois, and, and the, uh, the question was uh, to me about, it was a trap question, a trick question concerning my view on homosexuality and homosexual marriage. And uh, I knew it was coming. I had what I thought was a great answer. And uh, because they didn't get the answer they want, they pivoted and went on to the next attack. That's mainly what newspaper reporters are trained to do and TV announcers are trained to trap people because that's what makes good press. Well, that's what was happening here with Jesus. And of course, if you remember, Jesus's answer was amazing. Show me a coin, whose picture is on it, give to Caesar what is Caesar, and give to God what is God's. Wow, what a profound, Jesus would have been the ultimate politician, but he didn't come for, politic for politics, he came to die on the cross. But you must believe and understand that Jesus was very much uh, immersed in the tornado, the hurricane, the whirlwind of the politics all around us and all around him. So uh, that's point number two. A third uh, point I would make comes out of the next chapter in Matthew, Matthew chapter 23, when Jesus begins to speak against the politicians of his day. This is shortly before his crucifixion. I guess we could say he saved the best to last. At least he certainly got very blunt and very honest concerning the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the Sanhedrin. You may be familiar with the Sanhedrin, but it is a political group. It is composed of the conservatives, that would be the Pharisees, and the liberals, those who more sided with Rome and who didn't really care a whole lot about the literal interpretation of the Bible, those were the Sadducees. There were 71 members uh, of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was led by the chief priest. We see them, of course, very much involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. But that's the Sanhedrin. They were the government and the governing body of Jesus' day. They had their own police force. They adjudicated disputes between parties. They could levy tax, the temple tax that Jesus spoke of. That was the tax that they levied. So the Pharisees were a political organization, and the Sanhedrin was very similar to the Supreme Court that we might recognize in our United States of America, if you're living here. Uh, the, they even had power to administer punishment, the 39 lashes of the Jews. But one thing that the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin could not do is capital punishment. They couldn't kill somebody. And of course, if you remember from the gospel story, particularly the passion story, uh, the, the Pharisees brought Jesus to Pilate. Why would they do that? because they did not have the power to kill him. Only the Romans had the power to do that. And so very, very much immersed in the politics of the day. But Psalm, excuse me, Matthew 23, uh, Jesus has addressed his remarks, and this is our Lord speaking to them in a very public way, and these are some of the words, and you should read it sometime, just to see how, how strong and how animated how, how vivid these terms are. I'll give you a few of them. It was to these politicians that Jesus redressed, addressed these remarks. And he was not kind, by the way. These are some of the remarks he said. He called them, you hypocrites. He went on and said, you are nothing but whitewashed tombstones, pretty on the outside, but full of dead man's bones on the inside. He went on and called them murderers. A brood of vipers, which is an incredibly vivid insult to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then, just to cap it all off, he called them all sons of hell. Now, those are pretty strong terms, my friend. And you may say, well, Jesus was kind and peaceful and loving. 
watch him as he turns over the money changers' tables. He does that actually twice in the Gospels, at the beginning of his ministry and the end of his ministry, but particularly at the end of his ministry as he goes into the temple courts. The money changers' tables were owned by the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's how they became corrupt and made such wealth, uh, by selling at exorbitant amounts offerings that had to be inspected by them. Uh, so it's kind of like insider training in the stock market, which all it seems like all of Congress does today. That's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing. Jesus addressed that in a no-holds-barred sort of fashion. So you might say, I would say, Jesus inserted himself in a profound and visible way into the politics of the day. I even believe the money changers' tables was not some random act that just out of passion. I think it was a calculated, quote-unquote, political act, if you will, by Jesus. So back to my original question, did Jesus get involved in politics? I, I think you're going to be hard-pressed to say that he stayed above the fray. Huh, my friend, I, I think he was right in the middle of it. And, of course, there's the political intrigue of the cross. We have a Roman governor in Pontius Pilate. We have Jewish leaders that are violating their own laws because they have such animus and hatred against this one from Nazareth, Jesus. Then there's King Herod, the lackadaisical leech of a guy who just happened to be in Jerusalem that day. And he gets his chance at, 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 at interviewing Jesus. He places a crown of thorns on his head. And again, I'm not here to give you the whole passion uh, scene story of those last few hours of Jesus' life. But there are all kinds of political gyrations going on, calculations behind the scene. Even Pilate's wife got involved, which I think caused a stir with Pilate, because certainly Pilate was trying to figure out a political way to get out of this mess. He did not want to render the legal decision. Ultimately, he had no choice. But even after that, he does a very public thing, unheard of. He pulls a, pot, a bowl of water. He puts his hands in the water, raises them up, and he said, I am innocent of this man's blood as he washes his hands. All of that, my friends, had to do with politics. Jesus was very involved. The point that we're talking about today is should Christians get involved in politics? I'm not yet to that point, but I just want you to understand that, that Jesus' world, the Bible, biblical world, was very, very political. In fact, we can go to the Old Testament. There are many other biblical characters, and let's talk about their involvement. One of my favorite people in the entire Bible, as far as human beings, is Daniel. Not because Daniel was a great prophet, because Daniel was a great politician. Daniel served under the courts, in the courts, as a leader a bureaucrat, a very trusted individual. In perhaps three or four Persian or Babylonian administrations. And he survived, which was really rare, which means he was a great politician. And that's not a slam, and that's not a, a bad thing. We need people to lead us. Daniel was really good at leading. And the kings that he served under, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, uh, others, they, they recognized his value because he had an anointing there. I would just step back for a moment from our study and simply say, I pray that God raises up leaders. They're going to be politicians, my friend. But I pray that God raises up leaders in these days who have the character of Daniel, who have the skills of Daniel, and who are willing to put themselves on the line as Daniel did. 
we read that King Darius, uh, who ruled the Persian Empire in a sense the world until Alexander the Great comes along, uh, Daniel was an administrator in the greatest empire in the world. He had 40 satraps or governors under him. He was one of the three highest rulers under the king. This is a politician. We know him as the Jewish boy named Daniel. Uh, he spoke the truth to Nebuchadnezzar. He spoke the truth to his derelict son, Belshazzar, who brought out the gold cups from the, from the Hebrew Jewish temple and was drinking wine out of them. And you might remember uh, that's when the writing appeared on the wall. You've heard that phrase, the writing on the wall. Well, that was spoken of because of the actions of Belshazzar. Uh, it was politics that got Daniel thrown into the lion's den. He refused to obey his government. The government rule said everyone will bow down and worship the, the king, and nobody will pray to any foreign god. Daniel, in a political act, went to his window, not his bedroom, went to the balcony window, and it was, was his habit, bowed down and worshiped the god that he served. There was Nehemiah, who was very involved in politics, and, and not just there in Persia, but when he comes back to Jerusalem, he has to deal with Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the other Arabs. There were rumors or innuendos. There was even a letter sent to King Artaxerxes uh, that would be like the New York Times publishing something today uh, with false accusations about Nehemiah that he had to defend himself from. You have Elijah and his struggles with Ahab. You have Isaiah and his dealings with King Hezekiah, Jeremiah, and the last king of, of Israel, Zedekiah. Then you have, of course, John the Baptist, who, let's face it, he lost his head because of politics. Now, what am I saying here? Well, I'm simply saying that we can't avoid this situation of being involved. And so I think the question becomes for us, not should a Christian be involved in politics, but how should we conduct ourselves in regard to that? Let me tell you a personal story, and then we're going to go to one other area, and then I'll end it, and we will have a part two of uh, this episode. So uh, <clears throat> my own heart and my own story, for many, many years, since I was, uh, I think my first election was when I was 23 years old, and I was elected to a local school board, a grade school board, and, and then uh, subsequently I followed that after many years of service on the grade school board, I was elected to the high school board. I still currently serve as president of a public school board of education. So I've been very much involved in politics. Now, as a pastor, this is just my uh, reflection that I did. I went to my church, my deacons and my people who I love, and I said, look, I'm thinking about doing this. I'd like your counsel and I'd like your affirmation. And they gave me both and they allowed me to be involved because they believe, and certainly our church's DNA here as, as a part of this church that I'm pastoring now, we believe very much that the church ought to be involved in shaping the idea, the behavior, the thoughts of what is going down, the policies within our area. Some years ago, it was actually back in uh, 2011, I felt a very distinct call of God on my life. I can tell you exactly where I was at and what I was doing. Uh, but at that moment, I, I thought I heard the Lord's voice telling me to run for a position here called the State Senate. In Illinois, where I am, you have representatives and senators. There are uh, 59 senators, and in my area, uh, I felt like I was supposed to run as a state senator. 
So I again went to my church. I went to my people. I let them know what was going. They pray what was going on in my mind. They prayed. They affirmed and they supported. And most of them, for sure, and in many powerful ways. Uh, my point is this: while I was running, and I did win the election in the primary. Uh, so I, I had a little taste of victory. I got defeated in the general election. Uh, the gentleman was an incumbent that I was running against. I didn't think his policies were good. I didn't think where he was leading us was good. So I ran against him. Uh, ultimately, I lost. He won. Uh, that's the way we do things in America. So uh, it was okay. But during that process, during that year plus that I was out there very immersed in politics, uh, I, I learned a lot of things, and one of the things I understood from, and I got this from a lot of people, you have to get signatures. I had to have 1,000 people to sign my ballot that said, or my, my petition that said, yes, we want Mark Miner to run. And so I went to a lot of places, over 13 counties. I knocked on thousands of doors to get those 1,000 positions, signatures. But one of the things I found when people asked what I did well, I, I do teach for a junior college a little bit, but my main profession is a pastor. And I found something very interesting. It wasn't the people in the bars or in the grocery stores or some of the other places that were opposed to me. It was the people in the churches. The pe many people in the churches said, oh, I don't think a pastor ought to be running for office. Oh, you're going to get dirty. You're going to get compromised. You're going to get tainted. You shouldn't be doing this. You're going to ruin your name, and you're probably going to ruin your church's name. And I heard so many negative comments, mainly coming from what I what so-called Christians, and I think they were Christians. But I could see what a divisive issue it was, particularly for a pastor uh, to be running for a state office to be shaping the policies of uh, the state of Illinois and of my locality here in the very south part. So it was very interesting, my, my run. It sure taught me a lot of things. It taught me how to love people that don't like you. But it also taught me that, that a lot of people will talk a big talk when they want to change in government. They want some people that really will lead them. But then when somebody's standing in front of them, and I wasn't the answer to their problems, I think my answers and my policies would all have been biblically based and would have been the most humane and the most compassionate. I believe that. I wouldn't have run otherwise. But there were many people that disqualified me simply because I was a Christian and particularly because I was a professional Christian in the sense of getting my money, my, my uh, income from being a pastor. I found that amazing. So let me close out in these last few moments with uh, this thought here, and it has to do with our country, the uniqueness of America. Talking about myself a little bit now, we talk about you, you tell me your story, I'll tell, tell everybody your story as well, but I've had the privilege, as I've mentioned before, of traveling um, quite a bit, been in uh, nine or ten different countries, getting ready to go to Israel again for the sixth time, I think, here in May of 2024, and so uh, I love to travel, I love to go, I love to be involved and immersed in the heritage of other people. Uh, I've been to some countries that were very interesting. I spent uh, eight days in China, in Beijing, and, and other places, teaching uh, pastors, how to be pastors with another with a, a group of people. I was not the only one. Uh, I spent time uh, three or four times. I've been to Guatemala where we ministered uh, to the indigenous, the Mayan people down there. So I've been in that government. Uh, of course, the Chinese government is communist. 
I went and stood on the uh, platform, tried to find the very place, if you might remember the student uprising, where there was a young man who stood in front of the tank, and the tank would try to go around him, and he would run and stand right in front of the tank again. Uh, and that man, I, I just was amazed at his willingness to stand up uh, for his for, for, for Christianity, for human rights, in an incredibly brutal and broken country. And my friends, that's what China is. And it's worse now than when I was there. So China, a communist, godless country. Uh, then I've spent uh, almost two weeks in the country of Turkey, a Muslim country. I got to see how the Muslims treated life, how the Muslim men treated Muslim women how uh, the poverty and the brokenness of that rule or form of government, uh, as uh, Turkey is a very Turkish, excuse me, a very Muslim country. So I, I've learned from that. Venezuela, where is, which is now a very socialist and an impoverished country, uh, spent a few days there traveling around. So Guatemala and some other cities, other countries. My point is this. I, I'm not just, this not just armchair quarterbacking. I've been to some of these places. I've seen things. And every time I get back on the plane, I would fly into New York or Chicago or Miami or wherever we're coming from on that particular trip. I thank God for the uniqueness of the United States of America. Because in America... Whereas all the other countries and all the other great countries, uh, cultures of, of history, they had kings, they had dictators, they had sovereigns of some sort. But I would ask you this question in closing, who is the king in America? The people. The people are the king. Let me read you the first paragraph from uh, one of the greatest documents ever written by a human the Bible written by God, but the two greatest documents I believe ever written by human beings were the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States. And so may I read to you these words, we the people of the United States. That is who runs this country, not the king or queen of England, not some dictator, not Saddam Hussein, not uh, Putin and Russia. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity, do ordain and establish his constitution. What powerful words those are. And so I just want to close out part one here of should Christian being, Christians being involved in politics, should we or should we not, by simply saying that the United States is different than any other culture because we are the governing body. The sacred sovereign of America is the vote of the people. And so as we think about our involvement and as I prepare you for uh, next week and as we continue this discussion, uh, you by now obviously concluded that, yeah, Mark, you, you, you think we should be involved. And I'm going to say to you, yes, I do. Because I think in America particularly, we have not only the opportunity, but the responsibility 
to define who we are, our identity, to provide for the general welfare. And I believe a biblical lifestyle and a biblical mentality is the best provision for families and children and freedom and all of those things that we take, we call sacred and sometimes we take for granted. So yes, I do think that you have a part and I have a part. So we're going to continue this discussion next week in part two of uh, Should a Christian Be Involved in Politics? Thank you for listening today. I hope this has whet your appetite a little bit. I hope you'll listen next week as we conclude this discussion uh, in part two of Should a Christian Be Involved in Politics? Thank you so much uh, for uh, uh, listening to me. And uh, you don't have to vote for me because there's no vote going on right now. But thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. I value and esteem it. Have a blessed day. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to our channel. And if you would be so kind, share it with your friends who might enjoy it. We would also love it if you would leave us a review. It really does help us. Join us next week for another episode as we work our way through the Bible book by book. Have a blessed week.